Okay, everybody, welcome back from the break. And I, I found, uh-oh, here we go. I found the picture, there you go, there it is. <laughs> yeah, what, what is going on? Write down, write down what you're, what you're really struggling with. And what would our lives, what would our lives look like if we could do this, you know? Do these training timeouts, like, honey, I'm, I'm sorry, can I just pause here really quick? My real issue is um, I want to control you. My, my buddy goes to me, he goes, dang it, Ryan, my wife's always trying to control me. And I go, well, you want to control how much she controls you? And he goes, you're right, I do want to control her. Dang it. <laughs> and it's like fighting fire with fire, right? I want to control you, you want to control me, and when we realize we control nothing but ourselves and the way we react, and then I can really let go of a lot of things. So uh, this, next, this next module I talk about wounds, but I'll, I want to back up and show you the, the history of this thing and how this progressed. I said, as I, would, as I would sit down with people for years, I would sit down and try to analyze and what, what's going on so this thing has morphed over, over a long time. Um, but it is, it is, I think it's currently at where I think it's, it's pretty, pretty darn um, comprehensive of, of how people are behaving with what they're believing, okay? But today we're gonna focus on these bricks right here on the side. I mean, I'm sorry, the, um, the wounds, okay? On your sheet it says FADS, F-A-D-D-S. Oh, S-S, yes. FADS stands for the wound of fear, the wound of anger, The wound of deceit, the wound of shame, and then you have a sadness wound. Oops. Or loss. Fear, fads. Fear, anger, deceit, shame. And sadness. I think you only have to be alive for, I don't know, toddler age, like five years before you experience your first wound. I mean, you can actually be um, a baby. Uh, if mom or dad didn't pick you up or they neglected you, those things start very, very early. Might even, maybe even in the womb. Wounds start very early, and there's a monumental book called, um, it's called The Body Keeps a Score. Anybody read that book before? All the, it, it, you've read that book? It's amazing. Yeah. So, uh, it's uh, Dr. Vanderkolk, right? Dr. Vanderkolk wrote it, and all psychotherapists, 
I don't think you can graduate without. Yeah, you, you've read it as well. Oh yes, yeah, that's right. We talked about this. Yeah, when you read it, you have to have someone with you, because you can bring up a lot of stuff, right? I had I. I encouraged my sister to read that book, and I said, have someone with you because it's going to jog some memories because the body always keeps the score. I didn't realize my own trauma until I was in my 30s. And I know you're thinking, wait, you're, not, you're, you're older than 30? But yes. <laughs> yes. I didn't realize my trauma until I was, gosh, yeah, right, around, right around like 33. I'm 42 now. Am I 42, babe? Okay. 1980. And then when I realized my own trauma, my own wounds, I started wondering, I wonder how, I wonder how many other people have their wounds. So I started talking to my brother. I started talking to my brother, and I said, hey, man, like, we, should, we should talk. And so I took my brother through, Plumber Dan. I said, hey, Plumber Dan, can you help me? I want to I bring my brother through this thing. My brother, I'm, my brother wants, he wants some freedom, right? If you see my brother and I, if we're standing next to each other, we kind of look at each other, but he's, he's taller than me. Uh, he's five years older than me. But my brother's got slick back hair and he's rockabilly from tattoos starting from his neck all the way down. I don't have any tattoos. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not like my brother. What you have is two, two kids who experience abuse early on one went this way and one went this way. So my brother, you know, every time he'd get a new tattoo, he would have a camera and he would show my mom. And he'd be like, mom, look at my new tattoo. And then he and his friends started this thing and they just got, and there's actually a lot of people on, on social media doing it, like getting reactions out of their parents when they're showing new tattoos. But it's just the kind of thing he always did. He goes, I just, I feel. It helps me feel things. Like the pain of the like needle, it's, like, it's addicting. It's a, di a different mindset, right? Because I don't, I don't think about doing that. What happened to us early on? When we sat down, Plumber Dan helped me. He, we, actually, this time, I flew back to California, and I asked Plumber Dan to help me. I said, let's sit down with my brother, and he wants to go through this thing, right? My brother's story's out there as well, and he likes to, you know, he's a freedom addict now. And so at one point in the, in the, in the session here, we're at the very end. And he looks at me and he goes, Ryan, remember what mama used to do to us? Mama's my grandma. She's in heaven now. And I looked at my brother and I said, Mama, what'd you do? Oh, oh. And I had this thought like, that was, that was real? That was, man. He goes, yeah, I have, it was, a for, it was the forgiveness portion of this workshop. And he goes, you remember what she used to do to us? So, without getting into too much of the story, grandma abused us, all the boys. And um, I've had a vision that, that we all are all on a stage one day, sharing our story, and other people in the audience hearing it and going, me too, I wanna be free too, it's time this thing ends, let's get some healing right now. Like I just, it's just the ongoing vision. And it's spread in my family. I, talk, I sat down and I talked with my sister. When I sit down with uh, females and I bring them through the same thing, um, I, at that time I had Jeanette sit in with me. And at the end of my sister's session, we got to the very end when we did a, we did a moral, we did an inventory of everything that's happened. 
And at the very end, when we were almost done, I said, there's something right. There's not something missing here. And I turned to my sister and I said, um, have you ever been violated? And like a faucet, like tears just came down. And so I, I began to see like, man, this is, this is, it's all over our family. It's rampant. And then the more of these sessions I would do, I was like, okay, this is not just my, our family. This is a lot of people's family. This is a lot of people. And then I would watch how different wounds would manifest. So you take my, myself and my brother, right? You get the black sheep of the family, and then you get someone who's pursuing a lot of degrees and a lot of perfectionism and drivenness and accomplishments. Like I've never been able to sit down and just, and just settle for less. It's always been in my, in my mind, I have to be the best. I have to win this race. I have to accomplish that. And so while everybody is sort of shaming my brother, like, oh, why would you do that? Why do you do this? Huh? Like your, your life's like this, huh? And then they're looking at me and they're going, oh, that's so cool. And they're praising me because my behavior is socially acceptable. My brother's behavior is not so socially acceptable. So I'm getting away with it. And my brother's not getting away with it. Do you see what I'm saying? Like they're, they're like, oh, why do you do that? So I ran, I ran away for years. All these degrees, right? All these accomplishments with, with wrestling, with grappling. I, I actually I became obsessed with wrestling. I became the California State uh, Wrestling Open Champion. And if you haven't noticed, California is a pretty big state. So you have to become almost obsessed to, to win that state. When I look at Olympians, when everybody else is going, that's so awesome, I'm thinking, that is not normal. Olympians are not normal people. It is a life of more than dedication. It's, a, it's an obsession. I've had friends that are on the, my friend, he got sixth on the Olympic ladder. And he sacrificed so much to get there, lost his marriage. There's a lot of sacrifice that goes behind just them standing on, the, on, a, on a podium and, and biting a, a medal. And it comes from a wounded place. Dan Gable, the greatest wrestler who ever lived, arguably. He totally undefeated in college. He lost a senior match, and he came back with vengeance in the Olympics and then destroyed that guy. Never got scored on the Olympics. Greatest guy ever, right? And I'm hearing him tell his testimony. Someone broke into their house and, and raped his sister. Like, and that's a part of the story I never heard. That's part of the story I heard, but these kind of wounds, it, it, it drove him. There's always something underneath. And so for this, for this module, I want to talk about uh, different, different wounds that you may have. The, the story that I shared was a wound of sadness and loss. So I uh, lost my innocence early. I lost my innocence very early as a child. And my view of the world and what's appropriate uh, was, was skewed, right? Until I started realizing that it was a wound, I couldn't heal. Now there's a saying, you can't heal what you don't feel. So if you're going to experience healing from the wounds, you have to feel them. You can't feel them unless you express them. So that's always the order. That's the order of healing. I sit down and I think about the wounds. or Because it's a blind spot, someone else is helping me. For me personally, I pray 
and I say, what, what, what are some things I'm not aware of? And then I have people like Plumber Dan, I have people like Matt, I have people like Andy, I have people like Kyle, I have people like Bill. These are all men that I've listed that fully know me, besides the fact that I'm fully known by my wife. And they speak truth into me, and then, and then they'll guide me. Like my friend Eric, he'll say, so how does that make you feel? And I'll go into a deep feeling, and once I get the feeling, then I'll be able, that I'm writing it down, then I'll know what I need to let go of. If I don't talk about it, if I don't feel it, then I don't know what I'm letting go of. And then I'm really just holding it, and I, it's in my pocket. And then I walk around with it, and everybody goes, what is that? I can feel that, I can smell that, I can, there's some, and I'm carrying around some stuff. So, um, with that, I want to show this video. I want to show this video. You know who Terry Crews is? Anybody seen White Chicks? It's one of my favorite actors ever. Yeah. What did you say? Yeah, yeah. So Terry Crews, does anybody, anybody seen this video? It's a video called My Dirty Little Secret. Yeah? Okay, I'll just, I'll just play it. Hey, what's up, Facebook family? How you doing? It's me, Terry Crews, again. Um, I just want to address some things real quick, man. Um, you know, the subject is dirty little secret. And, you know, for years, 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 my dirty little secret was that I was addicted to pornography for years. Now, most of you who are on Facebook are using the internet. And... I, it's kind of crazy because this thing has become a problem. I think it's a, uh, you know, a worldwide problem. But pornography, um, it really, really messed up my life in a lot of ways. And, you know, the thing is, it, it became a thing where I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell anybody. It was a thing that it was my secret. Nobody knew. And that allowed it to grow. And it got bad. And when I say bad, so, some people deny it. They say, hey, man, you know, you can't really be addicted to pornography. There's no way. But I'm going to tell you something. If day turns into night and you are still watching, you probably got a problem. And that was me. Um, it affected everything. I didn't tell my wife, didn't tell my friends. Nobody knew. But the Internet allowed that little secret to just stay and grow. And it was something that, you know, my wife was literally like, I don't know you anymore. I'm out of here. And that changed me. It had I had to change because I realized, yo, this thing is a major, major problem. I literally had to go to rehab for it. And the thing what I found is that by not telling people, it becomes more powerful. But when you tell and when you put it out there in the open, just like I'm doing right now to the whole world, it loses its power and everybody wants you to keep this little secret don't tell anybody don't uh, whispering this and this I'm telling and I'm putting it out there let me tell you something you know I've been free of this thing probably going on six seven years now thank goodness but now it's become my battle to help other people who are going through the same thing now I know again you're on the internet if you don't have this problem it's okay a lot of people don't but there are a lot of people who can't stop, and I'm here to help you. You can talk to me. Now, some of you may not agree. Please tell me what you think. But my issue was, 
and is with pornography is that it changes the way you think about people. People become objects. People become, you know, body parts. They become things to be used rather than people to be loved. And it really, really, you know, you start to change the way you see people and you start to use people. You start to feel like, you know, you're the man and they're just, you know, whatever. And I had to change my thinking. I had to change what I believed. And once I knew, and once I was aware of what it was doing to me, um, it changed me. And I knew, I said, I gotta stop this. And I'm gonna tell you this, my wife was like, I'm out. And you know what? I did not get help so that I could get my wife back. I just wanna tell you that. I got help because I needed it. My, my wife could have decided I'm gone and that would have been it. And you know what? And nothing else could have done about it because that was her choice. But she did decide to stay with me because she knew I was repentant. She knew I was going to get help and she knew I was sorry. Let me tell you something, not enough to just ask forgiveness. It's always, always necessary to make amends, to fix the problem, to do whatever you can to fix the problem. So if you are going through some things like this, or if you're not, if you agree, if you don't agree, I'm keeping it real, y'all. I'm keeping it real. Hey, it's your boy Terry Crews. I'm not playing. It's intensity level Terry Crews. We're going all the way. 2016. You know what I mean? We don't battle people. You battle mindsets. You battle mindsets that uh, uh, attempt to put people down. You battle mindsets that attempt to hold people back. That's what I'm battling. I don't battle people. I battle the way people think. That's what I'm talking about. So, again, I love you. Share with me. Come with me. Let me. I, I'm going to be doing this a lot. So, please, if you don't like it, I understand. I'm with you. I could sing, making my way downtown, walking fast, faces passing them homebound. I could do that all day. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to be singing. But I also want to share. And I want to help people. That is what I'm about. Guys, it's my mission. It's my life. It's what I do. I love y'all. Love you, Facebook. Have a great day. I'm on my way to work. <laughs> Peace. Okay. So he has, a, he has a series. He has a series of these videos. Dirty Little Secret. Part 1, Part 2, Part 3, Part 4, Part 5, Part 6, Part 7. Rebecca, his wife, speaks in one of them, and he actually, um, he goes around, he travels on the road. I think it's with his pastor, and he, he helps uh, men with, with uh, porn addiction, which I don't know why, but people think that's just a guy problem, but it's not. And even some women here are like, oh, yeah, then it's okay. Not, it's just not, no surprise to me because the way we, things we believe, it's, Anybody can be susceptible to that, right? Okay, so let's talk about wounds. Oops. There's your wounds. With your blank piece of paper, you've kind of already done this with with deceit, with the mask that you wear. But early on in your life, when you think about it, 
Where were you deceived? Who deceived you? Take your offhand there and, and see who comes to mind. What comes to mind? What kind of lies are in your life? Just see what comes. Don't, don't try to force it. Just, just, just allow your hand to, to do the right. of fear, a living fear in light of events or issues in life, what are some, what are some fear wounds that, that you might have? Might be things that take you back to your childhood, might even be current fears. It might have to do with the people that are across the hall here could be current wounds. I fear my child might become a fill in the blank. I, I fear fill it in. I fear that if my spouse knew this about me that it would be over. Just a minute more on this one, on fear, and get it out, get it out of your system. Another reminder, you know, safety is our, safety is, is paramount here. Um, it's not the intent for anybody to, to share at the table today or share, get, up, get up here and grab the mic and share, although you're welcome to. But this is just, I'm assuming at base that this is, someone's first exposure to this kind of mindset or, or talk, okay? Although we're all in different places. So we're like, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. But we're going to keep it as, as safe as possible today. Okay? The wound of anger. What comes to your mind um, when you think about how you've been wounded with anger? And you've been thinking about your own anger right now. Like, how did that manifest? How did your anger manifest? You might even be thinking now with the tree, with the tree picture, what your anger is linked to, whether it's control or power or approval. But what comes to your mind when you, when you think about how you've been wounded by anger?
Okay, and um, shame. What kind of shame do you carry? Guilt and shame are two different things that need to be defined. Guilt says, I did something bad, and shame says, I am bad. Guilt, to a certain extent, is, is okay, and it's healthy. It's called healthy shame. Healthy shame is the same as guilt. But where this bec becomes dangerous and where it's, it's wounding is where we say, I am a bad person. If you listen to your children, they do this. I'm a bad person. They go, they go right to it. It's, it's our default. It's the default of humanity to go straight to shame. But the reality is uh, shame comes from, a, comes from a place of woundedness. Toxic shame, there is, if you Google or go on uh, Amazon or you just Google how many books there are written about toxic shame, it would be a good investment. I got tons of, I, you can see my bibliography. You, you, you would do well to buy a book on toxic shame. Brene Brown talks about shame. Um, Dan Allender talks about shame. He's probably the, the world's subject matter expert on, on sexual abuse. He wrote a book called The Wounded Heart, but it, it's, it's about shame. And shame, as the most destructive thing in the universe, is healed when we expose it and we make sense of, of the memories and the things we can control and can't control. Okay? I trust that you got out whatever you needed to get out on, on that paper. The fifth wound is sadness or loss. What kind of sadness or loss comes to your mind? Did you lose your innocence early on? Have you had a loved one die? Have you unexpectedly had to, had to bury someone? I say that because I, I, I buried my dad a couple of years ago. And I've had to rework this step a lot. I've had to rework this because it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense to me how my how my dad died, and I and I, I wrestled really hard for. Well, I'm, who am I kidding? I'm st I'm still wrestling. He died. I buried him in 2021. Yeah, right. 2021. He went in. He went in. Um, he went in the hospital, and uh, you know, in Filipino culture. Filipino culture, we, we doctors are like gods. You just do whatever the doctor says. You trust them. You trust the medical. You, you, you just trust and trust. And uh, so my dad signs whatever, whatever, whatever is needed. So they, they, he went in because he got COVID, and then they, they gave him this treatment for this thing, and uh, they gave him this drug called Remdesivir that ended up actually killing him. So I wrestled with that, you know. And then I had, and I, and I. And I, I looked up everything. I looked up the doctor. I looked up. I looked up. It was Kaiser Permanente, and, I, and then I looked. I, I looked at the screen, at the, the computer screen. I looked at this young doctor that administered to him, and I looked at that screen, and I said, "I forgive you. I, I forgive you." And, and I, I don't know. It, it, it could have been two things. It could have been an accident, or it could have been into, I don't know, or anything in between, right? But the reality is, I'm wrestling with something. More than what actually happened is what it's doing to me, right? There's, there's, there's the truth which is out there, which will, in, in my mind, God will sort it out, and it'll, it'll be okay. 
but what I'm wrestling with will work its way down into my children's life and it'll affect, it'll be collateral damage for everybody. So I have to deal with that. And so I've dealt with that, like how does it make me feel? Okay, so this is a wound, I'm experiencing loss, and then I just, I just rework it, and I work it, and I express it, and I identify the emotion, and then I'm, I'm able to know to let it go. Because it's hard to be emotionally intelligent, um, I often look at this, this picture of this wheel. So you can't heal what you don't feel, right? And what would be good to, to do is to teach ourselves how to get in touch with these emotions. So the, the, the emotions that we know pretty well are angry, sad, and pissed off. But there's always something deeper than that. This, there's something always deeper than anger. Anger is a secondary emotion. What came before the anger is the, what we have to deal with. So I just say, what's, I keep asking, what is the emotion that you had before you felt angry? And I'm talking to my children. What, what happened before you felt angry? And as they begin to unpack it, they will end up, if you keep going down the road, and there's no screaming or throwing of anything, if, if, they, if they participate in this, then they'll end up landing on something like, oh, I guess it's a control thing. I want to control my sister. I want to control my brother. If they're, if they're emotionally intelligent, they'll say, well, maybe this is a comfort thing. <laughs> maybe this is an approval thing. If I'm being honest as a parent, I'll say, Okay, the reason why I squeeze your arm, which is wrong, is because I care about what, what the Smiths think about when you throw a tantrum in front of me, and that's wrong. I shouldn't care about it. Daddy was wrong. I'll, I'll never forget one time my girls, it was in Virginia, they, they, they were playing outside, and then they brought in a uh, shovel full of dirt into the house. Right? And I was like, and I, I lost it. One, it's dirt, and I have just something about dirtiness. Even though I'm a wrestler and I've ingested way more germs than any of you, I've tasted blood, sweat, and tears, but, but something about the dirt. And, and I wronged them, and it was this, just an opportunity for me to confess and say, and say I was wrong. Here's why I think I do those things, and, and man, I'm, I'm, I'm praying for help. I, I, I berated my son one time at the Isby at the last retreat, and at the Isby Lake over there, and I let him have it. I, I, I publicly embarrassed him, and then I said, so you're going to sit down here, and you're going to watch us paddle around this lake. And, and there you go. My conscience is firing now, like, like hey, your you're, you're, you're woundedness that you're not dealing with is manifesting into, into in, you know, it's, it's working its way down. And I remember sitting, we sat behind this wall, and then I, and I put my arm around him, and I said, you know what, you know what, Ryder? Um, that's not good. The way what I what I said to you, how I am treating you, is not good. I have no excuses. And I think I learned that from Grampy. And he learned it from his grandpa. But I, I don't want to do that. And so I'm 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 breaking that now. And I, and I thank you for your forgiveness. And he's like, okay, Dad, I always forgive you, which makes me want to cry. Right? Like, I could say that I, I'll always forgive you, Dad. I'm like, okay. I got it. But as, as I get in touch, as I try to get in touch with these things more, it, it calms me down, and then I'm not swinging at, at fruit here or playing whack-a-mole with all, with all these things. Okay. 
um, take a look at these, these emotions, and now you have the wounds that you wrote down. Try to see. Try to see what's underneath. Go with the, the easy emotions, and then peel back that onion. Say, I wonder what's, what came before that. What came before that? And that, that's, that's how I felt. And so that's what I need to, that's what I need to express and let go of. It's not easy. It's easy for, it, I mean, it just sounds easy, right? Okay, I identify the emotion, and I just say how it made me feel, and I let go of it. Well, it's, it's not that easy, but there is, there is so much power in actually hearing your own, when your ears hear your mouth say it, it is super, super powerful to express it. And then if you step it up from there, you get a real person in front of you, flesh and blood right in front of you, and you go, Here, here's, my, here's my confession. Sometimes I'll, I'll prep the stage with, with Jeanette if there's, there's an intense fight. Let me give you a real example and get super vulnerable here, okay? One time we were fighting, and it was like, I'll never, it was like super intense. I'm talking like, 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 you know, like nose to nose type of like, it was just, just bizarre. Like the, the way we're acting, the way I was acting as a married couple, like, like I want to like get in a fist fight with my wife, right? And then um, it came to my mind um, some shame that I was, that I was holding and some, some guilt. And, and this is radical, right? This is, you're going to hear this, you're going to go, you're nuts. You're nuts, right? And why, would, why, why do you confess like that? But I said, I said uh, can we do a little timeout, you know, like a little Navy training timeout? Right. So give me a little timeout. Um, I brought some fear into the house, and I think that's the—I think that's been the issue behind all this fighting, and the, the atmosphere has just changed. And I think I need to confess something. But is this, is this a safe time? Is this—is this a safe time to bring up a confession? Because I'm going to get really vulnerable right now, because I've been worshiping fear again, and I'm worshiping control. We'll go. We'll go ahead. Well, here's what happened. And um, it, uh, there, the, the neighbor had, had come over, right? It was, it was a, a young couple. And, um, you know, this, this gal was wearing uh, clothes that, that, just, that I just noticed. And then I said, you know, and I started to have uh, thoughts about this person, and it's not good. Of course, I... I, I expose more of where my mind went, but I knew at this point, I don't want to keep things, I don't want to keep shame, I don't want to be isolated because it, it's always a downward spiral. So I want to choose freedom, I want to choose vulnerability, even though it's not comfortable, even now at this point, it's always worth it to uproot this thing. As soon as I make this confession, Jeanette receives it, and it's almost instantly gone. Uh, the, mo the, the, the first time we ever did this in 2013, when Plumber Dan was encouraging me, you can be fully known, and I was thinking, oh, I don't know about fully known. That's, that's, that's ridiculous. That's like, that's not good. It's not going to end up well. Probably end up out of the, out of the Navy and out of the Chaplain Corps. <laughs> right? The stuff that I'm about to confess. I'll probably be out of a job. So um, I went for a walk. I went for a walk. It was, it was like midnight, and I told Jeanette, I need to go for a walk. She's like, it's midnight. 
taking the dogs for a walk, and I remember looking up into heaven, and I say, Lord, give me everything I need to share because I only want to do this once. I only want to cry once. And I felt out of left field, God gave me four things, and I literally put my fingers in my ear. I'm like, I'm not talking about those things. Why would you bring up those two extra things? And that was it. It was only four things. And we don't have time to go into those now, but if you and I sat down for a cup of tea or coffee or whatever, I'm going to tell you the whole story. I got, I got no secrets. I'm fully known. And so I came back to the house. It was about 2 in the morning, and I go, here we go. I am scared. I am so scared. So I walk in, I'm like, and she's like, what are you doing? I've got to tell you something. I said, babe, I've been living in fear. I've been in bondage to fear our whole marriage, but that's about to end right now. And I go, number one, number two, number three, number four. And Jeanette caught her, it was, she was taken aback. She caught her breath. She's like, wow, okay. And then she said, thank you, something like that. And then, and then, and then you know what she said after that? She goes, I guess it's my turn. Right? And she goes, you know, when you're, this time, this happened. And, and then I felt like our souls for the first time went, it was like the missing link. You know, that old school 80s game Zelda, like, you, it opens up a new level. Like, it opened up a whole new level, a whole new game. And in that moment, I remember sitting down at the bed, and I, I, I was kneeling there, and I go, oh, my gosh, look how much has been done through us, you know, I was seven years in to the chaplaincy. Seven years in, I finally got saved in my terms. I go, I wonder what is going to happen tomorrow. And just like that, people started showing up at our doorstep. I mean, talking about like people say, hey, I just got abused. And we would be like, we're going to pick you up. I need a place to stay. Yep, our couch is right here. Like, it was, our eyes were opened, and it was the mingling of souls. You want to talk about how to, how to radically change your sex life? Be fully known. Be fully known. You can read Cosmo and all these other things. That, that, is, that is nothing. That is nothing. I, I have interviewed guy after guy after guy when we're talking about this, and, and I was asking him, what sex was like before and after they came into the light and it was night and day. Even after um, confessions of infidelity, like my friend Matt, who he promised himself he would never do it because she told him, if you ever tell me this or this, I am gone. So he had reason to live in fear. He believed he had reason to live in fear and to hold those things tight. When he stepped into the light, the next morning, she came downstairs, and she goes, I don't know what I'm still doing here, but I'm not going anywhere. And he just, he just sobbed. We were on the phone. We had, we, he and I both fasted 24 hours from food right, right up to leading. And then I, I also solicited some other guys to fast. Like, it was like a worldwide thing. Like, we, we got you, bro. We, we have your back. And as he stepped into that space of, of vulnerability, um, they began to heal. They began to heal. Are they perfect now? No. 
do low balls come out? Like, well, you did this. Do, do those kind of things come out? At, yes, because we are wounded people who believe certain things, and those things come up from time to time. But they know the steps. This is true resiliency to me. This is true resiliency. The ongoing ethic of confession and repentance in front of somebody else. In recovery circles, uh, recovering people in recovery, they do it in a circle. And they go around and it's just, a, it's just a, an ongoing thing. They know you show up and you are seen. Uh, religious circles, churches, sometimes it's the opposite. You show up in your best dress, you show up saying the right thing, and nobody's confessing because everybody looks good. And everybody's fine, and everybody's hallelujah. Or, yeah, praise God, it's, it's fine. But we know better, I know better. Let's just be real. If, if, if every church, synagogue, mosque, if every different place of worship could be more like an AA meeting, it'd be awesome. Which is a, a song by Mike Donahue called All Together. It's one of the best songs ever. He says if more churches could be like AA meetings, it would be awesome. Okay. How, do you, how does everybody feel? This is super deep, right? This is super deep stuff. But I think it's true resiliency. You bring secrets into the workplace, it affects national security. Right? It does. It does because you're bringing it, you're bringing it out there. If a person has secrets here, who's to say that doesn't make them susceptible to giving our secrets away to other countries? Because if, if I'm off, if I'm off here, it doesn't end. It doesn't end. And in advising commanding officers, um, one time I was sitting in a, in, a, in, a, in a staff meeting, and then the guys that were deployed had, had uh, said back on the, on the VTC, the video teleconference, sir, we'd like to report uh, zero, zero alcohol-related incidents. In the community, that, that was, and I was like, that's, that's not true. There's no way. He sent all these guys to train on the mainland there, and there's no, and there's not, no. I said, sir, you know what a better win would be? A better one would be, sir, I regret to report to you, we had to bench two guys because they acted like knuckleheads, they got drunk, and they started peeing all over the hotel. I mean, that, that's, that's more of a win than no issues at all, sir. Let's just be honest. And if, if people were more honest, and, and they would just come forth and say what they're going through. The, uh, the command sergeant major for, for um, SOCOM, uh, he, he created a DVD called The Chris and Lisa Show. You know what I'm talking about? He's command sergeant major of, of SOCOM, and he said, let me prove to you that you will not lose your clearance if you, if you show that you're getting mental help. And in this DVD, and if you look at the Chris and Lisa show, he talks about abusing his family. He's a special forces guy, and he talked about choke slamming his daughter on the floor. And he's sharing that with, with, with all the units. They would, they, they would, do, uh, they would, they would just do this, this worldwide tour and visit all the different um, special forces units, and he would, tell his, he would tell his story. And he's like, I didn't lose my clearance. You guys need to get help. You need to say what's going on in your house. And, and it, was, it was amazing. It was amazing. So uh, as leaders, too, we should, we should role model transparency and vulnerability and watch how that dribbles down. I'll tell you what, the juniors, they think, you're, they think you wear a cape. I know you don't wear a cape. I know everybody bleeds when they get shot. 
but we also have to think about like, okay, what does that what does it actually look like in the unit? What does it look like to, to be transparent? And what does it look like to role model? And, and what are the effects if 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 a supervisor said to his people, you know, I, um, yeah, we can't do that meeting at a certain time because I'm going through counseling at the time. We, we just book it around that. And they would go, the juniors would go, oh, that's interesting. I thought that guy was perfect. I thought that guy was bulletproof. You let them know you're not. Then, and especially those teenagers across the hall, if they know we're, we're working on this too, then it, it'll, it'll role model for them. And they'll, they'll imagine a teenager who's, whose life is marked by confession and repentance amidst, amidst their friends who are not judging them and, and this constant working on stuff that happens. Um, the, the, the wound of, of shame and loss, that can happen early on. The average, the average age of a little boy who gets uh, to view his first pornography, do you know what age it is? Guess, just wild guess. Whoa. Yeah, Ten. Ten. And that's just, that's just a few studies. It's, just, it's, it's way, way too young, right? Dan Allender, who I've said is a subject matter expert on, on sexual abuse, he says, when, when, when somebody hands a child pornography, they have now been sexually abused. That is the, because it meets the criteria for they have been sexually abused. For me, uh, it was a, bit, a little bit later. I was a sophomore in high school, and I'll never forget, it was summer school, science class. I was sitting there, and this kid, it was, it was at Pendleton. I grew up at Pendleton, Camp Pendleton, California. I'll never forget this kid turns to me, and he goes, hey, Ryan, you got to watch this. He, had me, he hands me this yellow VHS tape. Remember the VHS tape? Those were the days. Was it Betamax? No, it wasn't Betamax. It was, it was VHS. And I go, oh, okay. It was, it was porn. So I go home, and I put it in the VHS tape, and I'm watching this thing, and it, it just it changed, it changed my mind. I think there was chemical changes in my brain. I was like, what is this? And then I heard the garage open. And I was like, oh. And I'm like, oh. I told my mom this story. I told my mom this story. And it's stuck, right? <laughs> I go, oh, God, if you have this tape come out, I will never watch this again. You know what happened? Right then. It goes, and it comes out. I was like, oh. And I put it in, I put it in my backpack. And I walk, I walk next door, and I gave it to my neighbor, Steve. And I go, hey, dude, here. You can have this. And I went there a couple, um, like the next day or two, and then, and, then, and then all those guys were watching it, right? And I walked in, and they were watching it. And this is the last time I ever saw it. I think that's the last time I ever uh, intentionally looked at, at porn. Um, um, and then before that, yeah, I had um, my friends owned a, a mini mart. My Cambodian friend, and he's like, "Hey, anytime you want, we got a supply for you guys." So nowadays, with all these kids with with their phones and everything, it's 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 rampant. You see how destructive it is. Jerry Cruz talks about it. Um, but those were wounds. Those were wounds. Any questions on wounds before we go into a break? Okay, our last module for the day is going to be on uh, on forgiveness. It's a pretty heavy topic. So we'll break and we'll come back in 10 or 15 minutes.